have, um, you know, I always like to say, that, of course, that whether our children have left yet or not, it's uh, just great to remember that we have people that have dedicated their time and committed uh, their efforts to teach our young ones, our next generation. And so that happens uh, while we are in here. They get to have their own awesome time of worship and of reading the Word. And so we just always want to keep them in our prayers as well. And so uh, let's get right into our message for today. And here's what we're going to do. So as you know, we've been going through the book of Acts, right? And uh, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And of course, we recognize that when Luke wrote his account of the early church, and when anybody else who wrote any book or letter of the, of the Bible, they did not write it in chapters and verses. We all know that, right? That came much later, and it's a great benefit and assistance to us as we can reference things and we know where it is john three sixteen, right but when the gospels and the epistles were written they weren't broken down that way and so it might seem like it's a lot but today we're going to cover two full chapters or just a part of luke's letter called the book of acts which recounts uh, the early church so we've been going through that we are almost at the end and so it works out great because we're going to do two chapters today chapters 25 and 26 and then of course next week is christmas eve and then the following week the last sunday of the year we will finish the book of acts and do chapters 27 and 28 these last four chapters all all sort of run together and you're all kind of just like wow that is a lot but that's okay i mean you know we're going to read the word of god together and you'll see we're not going to go through it verse by verse trust me okay um But the idea is that you'll see as we read through 25 and 26 today, it is really kind of giving us the final accounts of what was happening with Paul, and it will lead us into what we'll cover in two weeks, the last two chapters of Acts, which really show Paul in Rome, his imprisonment and things that are happening there, and and how he got there and all of that. And so as Acts has been a story, it's important that we kind of don't chop it all up into small bits that we keep the bigger perspective of the story all right so what i'm going to do now is simply read acts chapters 25 and 26 it'll be up on the screen for you as always in the the esv version and you'll see how it flows okay this is very simply it's the continuing saga of the apostle paul and how he has been wrongly accused and beaten His life has been threatened and even imprisoned for a couple of years, just kind of waiting around. And so we see in these two chapters, uh, Paul, before his accusers, a couple of times, he gets to share his testimony again. We've gone through his testimony, but we also are going to go through it again uh, today. You'll see he says it a little differently. But then what I'm going to do is just kind of give us a perspective of what do these two chapters have to say to us today what are we learning specifically about paul's life uh, as we get to the end of the accounts of his life and his um, his going from where he is now all the way to rome okay if you if you could just bring down the volume it just i'm getting a lot of feedback up here i appreciate it thank you um and so this is acts 25 and 26 all right and i'll just read it straight through It says this, now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem. 
because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. So Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. So after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took a seat on the tribunal and he ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, they stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews or against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, then no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. So then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. That's given us an idea. That is where Paul is headed into Rome. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice, who was his sister, arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. There's a lot of important people gathering here if you see that. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews, they laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day, I took my seat on the tribunal, and I ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. So then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and circumstance, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man whom the whole Jewish people petitioned, uh, petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that, after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. 
So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. And now he gives an account of his testimony of salvation. Paul says, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning uh, among my own nation in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time. And if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. See, Paul's still telling his story. I traveled there with the authority and commission of the chief priest. But at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple, and they tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying, both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. 
For the king knows about these things, and I to him, I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also who all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them, when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man actually could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So a long part of this story, but hopefully you can see exactly what's happening here. That Paul has gone before a large group of very important people. Men and women gathered there of the religious leaders of King Agrippa and his sister themselves. And of course, um, he had been before Felix and now Festus, the governor. He's before all these people once again being called to give an account of what he's doing and why. It almost seems like a broken record, doesn't it? Why does Luke, who wrote this account, continue to share this story? You would think almost like once is enough, right? But no, because he wants to continue to drive home everything that Paul had to go through. And the fact for us this morning, I think we want to glean from this this whole part of the story, is that Paul really had no idea what God was doing, where he was bringing him, all the things that needed to happen in order to get Paul where God wanted him to go. Remember back in Acts 23, uh, God says to Paul when he came up beside him and he said, you've been faithful in Jerusalem, you must go to Rome. Paul is not in Rome yet, so he will get there. But God is directing every one of his steps. Even through all of this, once again, could you imagine Paul just thinking to himself, i got to go through this again. He had been left in prison by Felix, the governor. And while he was there for about two years, then a new governor took over Festus. And Festus kind of inherits Paul as a problem. So one of the first things he does is he's like, what am I going to do about this? And he addresses Paul. Paul had to go through it all over again. Right? So it's sort of very similar to the stories we've been reading. But this is really going to give us a great indication of what's going to happen in the very last two chapters that we'll cover in two weeks to close out our study of Acts, to looking at the beginning of the early church. We're going to see how Paul finally gets to Rome, what happens on the way there, and what happens to him while he's there. But for our purposes this morning as we cover Acts 25 and 26, just know this, that in the context of these chapters, Paul is once again being falsely accused, having to give a defense of what he did, but he also takes the opportunity to share his testimony once again, and he preaches the gospel to all who are there. It even says at the very end, they all got together afterwards, the king and his sister and the governor, and they're just like, well, he's got some you know, squabbles with the, his Jewish brethren about some religious things, but nothing that we're going to put him to death for. So they're confused about what to do. And each leader, each person kind of just keeps leaving it to the next one. But all the while, Paul is just kind of biding his time. 
Do you ever feel like you know that God's got something for you to do, but you just feel like God's kind of taking his time and getting you there? Can you imagine what Paul had to go through? So here's what I, I want to look at this morning. You know, Paul was certainly on quite a journey. We've seen him go through all of his missionary journeys. We saw him with Barnabas, without Barnabas. We saw him go through so many things, and we saw him being in prison. We saw him being falsely accused and, and uh, being beaten almost till death, being dragged out of the city on numerous occasions, right? And we see him even being in prison, just kind of languishing in prison for two years, not knowing what's going to happen. But all the while, he's on this amazing journey, but not really knowing exactly where he's going. Now, I think we've all had that experience of getting lost, right? When you're out driving, you know, you get lost and you're not sure where to go. And I, I know I've shared this before, but when I was a kid, I had this irrational fear of being lost. I'd always sit in the back seat of the car, like with my head in between the front seats. Say, Mom, you know where you're going? Dad, you know where you're going? You know, and I don't know why it was, but I was always afraid that they didn't know where I, I didn't know where we were going. Did they know where they were going? And of course, you grow out of that and then you get older, you start driving and you have some control over the situation, right? But these days, it's a lot easier to get around. I mean, we have GPS, we have Google Maps, we have Siri. We can talk through our phone. Siri, where am I? You know, how, can you give me directions to this or that, right? It's a lot easier to know where it is that we're going and to get those directions. It's harder to get lost these days, although we can still get lost. I still am old enough to remember back in the day before all of that, right, when we had maps. You could pull out a map or an atlas and where are we? Okay, here's the map and here's where you go, right? Some of them might still do that today. But here's the thing. There is a difference between a map and a compass. Now, we don't often use a compass, right? There's some cars that kind of have a, a compass built in. A GPS will have a compass built in, right? But how many of you ever actually had an actual little compass that will always point, thank you, Mr. Boy Scout, we know that. But it always tells you when you're holding the compass, which way is what? Which way does it point? It'll point north, right? See, there's a difference. It's good to have a map. It can give you an orientation. But if you're trying to drive down the turnpike to get somewhere, if you open a map to the middle of Idaho, is that going to help you? See, a map is only good if it's a map for the area that you're in, for your terrain. But a compass will work anywhere because it's true and it will always point you north. You see that? Now, a map might give some details and some definition, but a compass will always give direction. And we know these days, right, maps can get outdated very easily. As roads change, as buildings change, as we call urban sprawl or whatever, right, and, and, and you know, new complexes are built, and even sometimes, like, you know, our GPS can have a hard time catching up with that, right? And it'll say, make a right here. And you're like, no, there's no road right here. That's a lake, you know. So I suggest in that case, you don't follow the GPS. But in any case, there's a difference between using a map and a compass. See, I believe that Paul, the whole time, as he was going through these difficulties in his journey, he was always following that compass, pointing him in the right way, not knowing what was happening. Here's an interesting thing, you know. If you used a compass, which would you know, point north, if you were to follow north, 
think about this. Where would you end up? Where do you expect to end up? If you were just to follow the compass north all the way, right, over terrain, through water, whatever, where would you end up if you're looking at a globe or a map? The North Pole, right? Actually, no. You're wrong. I was wrong. Look at this. There is two things. There is the North Pole, which is called actually True North. That's the North Pole, the very top, which scientists, right, they actually can't pinpoint the North Pole because it's really actually right in the middle of the ocean up there, and it's always kind of changing. But if you notice, there's also something called Magnetic Pole. Now, the Magnetic Pole, that changes also. If you were to use your compass, which is guided by what? The Earth's magnetic field it would lead you to the magnetic pole. And it's usually about 300 miles difference. So there's about 300 miles difference between the North Pole, which you see on a map, what we might call true north, and the magnetic pole. So the compass would bring you to the magnetic pole. You would be about 300 miles away. Or look of it this way. Close enough? I guess it depends on where you're trying to go, man. You know? Good point. So, let's say this. Think of it this way. If you were to travel to the North Pole and you took out your compass, which way would it point? We might think, wow, I mean, if we're at the very North Pole and we have a compass, where would it point? Because it always points north. It would actually point 300 miles towards the magnetic pole. Interesting. So here's why I bring it up. If you look at the next picture, the problem is this. You see, the Earth's core, right, is solid. But around the solid Earth's core, scientists believe that there is this ever-shifting and changing liquid metal, right? It's basically iron and nickel and other metals. And it's hot. It's extremely hot. And so it is liquid. And it's always moving. And that movement of this hot molten metal is what creates our magnetic field. And so that is always shifting. And so there's always going to be a difference. There's a magnetic pole. And there is what we call the North Pole. But it's because of that moving liquid iron metal sort of, supposedly it's about a 1,000 miles to 1,200 miles thick. It surrounds the Earth's core. But there is always going to be this difference between, you go back to the previous picture, between the North Pole and the Magnetic Pole. So here's the thing. If you were traveling, following your compass, right? If you wanted to get to the North Pole, it would be directing you to the Magnetic Pole. So all along the way, no matter where you started on the planet, if you were going over the seas, over the terrain, no matter what it is, you would constantly have to make adjustments. Sailors know it, right? Explorers know it. And there's actually a name for it. The margin of error there in that distance is called the declination. It's an angle that measures the difference between the North Pole and the magnetic north. And that angle is always shifting and changing depending on where you start. So if you were starting here, going to the North Pole, all along your journey you would have to continue to make adjustments in your navigation. That's exactly what's going on with Paul. 
He knew he had to get to Rome. He wanted to get to Jerusalem, but he knew to Rome. And God confirmed that, right? When he said, you've been faithful in Jerusalem. You must go to Rome. But he didn't say, step by step, this is how you were going to get there. But all along the way, through trials, through being, um, through being brought before people, before the leaders, you know, being falsely accused, being almost killed, being threatened, through all of that, Paul had to continue to make adjustments, recognizing that his desire, his will, his thoughts about how he's supposed to get there, that might all change based upon the terrain that he had to navigate. But all the while, he was sticking to that compass that was leading him north, that compass being God himself, recognizing that God's will doesn't change. Everything around us is changing, isn't it? Everything changes in life. What is that saying that the only constant in life is change? But as everything around us changes, we know that God never changes. So through it all, through everything that Paul was going through, even in our text today, once again, he's got to go before the leaders and and give his case not knowing. Is he going to get to Rome? How's he going to get there? Right? Is this new governor going to do anything? Is he going to say the right thing? And Paul finally says, I, I, I want to go before Caesar. See, he's even having to change what he's saying, right? He always recognizes that it's God's will and not his. But he had said, you know, just leaving it in the hands of the governor, and finally he's recognizing this isn't going to change. I have no quarrel with you. With the Jews, bring me before Caesar. Would that not get him to Rome? He had to change and adjust all along the journey. We have to do that too, don't we? I mean, if you're using your GPS and you're trying to see where you're going, maybe you make a wrong turn, you hit the little thing that says recenter. Ever see that? And it brings you right back. It says, okay, this is where you are. You've kind of gotten off the track, but here's where you are. See, what happens in our world today, especially in, as we give in to our sinful desires, what happens is we get away from following that compass leading us always north. If we continue to change what truth is, if we give in to relativism and, and you wake up every day and say, well, what's the truth for today? What's going to be my foundation today? If your foundation is always shifting, how are you going to know where you're going? How are you going to head? If you woke up every day and and maybe the compass was different, today it's pointing northeast and maybe southeast or whatever, and I'm going to go this way, that way, that way. God is saying, follow me. Follow me and follow me. That is exactly what he's calling us to do. Paul had to make adjustments along the way, along his journey. See, we should be following the compass. See, the difference between the compass and a map for what we're talking about today is that a compass can orient us to coordinates. It gives us a focus even through changing terrain. I mean, our life, we look back at it, maybe even this morning you recognize you're navigating some rough waters. There's some difficult terrain ahead. Maybe you're going through it right now. Follow the compass. A map will always change. 
directions will look different. The terrain changes. The compass will always point you north. Right? As the landscape changes, roads are being built and all that, maps are going to become outdated, but not the compass. Maps can be good for helping us to manage our surroundings. Okay, wait, where are we? But a compass gives us leadership and direction. A map can provide a description of where we are, but a compass provides direction. So again, Paul had to make adjustments. He was many times falsely accused, beaten, imprisoned. He's going to go to Rome. He's imprisoned twice there. He's probably thinking, God, what are you up to? You said I have to get to Rome. Why am I sitting in prison for two years, not even knowing what my fate is? But for us, the call is simple. As we follow, we need to make adjustments along the journey. When you come across obstacles, failures, trials, health concerns, money issues, you lose a job, you get a new job, you get relocated, broken relationships, whatever it might be, these things will change our terrain. But as long as we are always following the compass, leading the, letting the Holy Spirit lead us, we will be following God and His truth, the true north. Right? A map can orient us, but a compass gives us direction. How do we do that as followers of Jesus Christ? We stay in His Word. Right? We stay in His Word. The Apostle Paul knew the Word of God. He knew the promises of God. He remained true to that. He even said to his accusers, you know, the Jews, really their biggest gripe with me is that I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And he's saying they actually believe it too. They're not owning up to it, but they believe the same thing. Because he said, I preach nothing other than the prophets and the teachings of Moses. See, he's saying, I believe in the resurrection of the dead because it's in their book too. It's in our book. Do you see that? In his testimony, he said, I was like you. I was a Pharisee. He's telling the king, I, I understand I persecuted Christians just like they're trying to do now. But he's saying, I believe in the resurrection as he continues to go around. And we see that as a theme of Paul and the apostles through the whole book of Acts. What did they focus on? Preaching the gospel of the resurrection. Jesus came back to life. Raised from the dead. And even the governor said that. He said, this guy Paul, he believes in some person named Jesus who's dead, but he says he's alive. That was the thing. That was really what they were trying to get him on. So our call is to remain true to the Word of God. To help us stay on the path following the compass using the Word of God. It identifies our path, doesn't it? The Word of God can also tell us and help us when they're wandering off of the path. It helps us get back on track. And it helps to keep us on the path. As we remain in the Word of God, right? the Word of God will never change. It's the words of God who doesn't change. His Word never changes. Everything around us is changing. Let us remain true to the Word of God. We also stay on the path, stay focused on that compass through prayer. It's what keeps us connected, right? An old map is no good. If you're following your GPS and your battery dies, ever happened to you? And you're halfway through your trip, now what? Hopefully you have a car charger, you know? But the idea is a dead battery is not going to be any good. An old map is no good. You need to stay connected to what's true. We do it through staying in the Word of God and continually be in a lifestyle of prayer. We're, we're told to pray 
pray continually. Pray without ceasing. Keeps us connected to the God who is true and unchanging. The Holy Spirit is like our compass, always guiding and directing. Now, when we surrender ourselves to the leading and the will of the Holy Spirit, does He then lay out all the details? Say, this is how you're going to get to Rome, Paul. No. We would like that sometimes, but if we had it all laid out, if we had the blueprints, where would faith come in, right? And so all we are called to do is follow the compass. We do it through staying true to the Word of God and prayer and through following the Holy Spirit. But one last thing I'll mention is this, and it's a word I was reminded of this week. I was talking to uh, Dave Brewer, one of our, our missionaries, and just talking to him, and in our conversation, he was mentioning how he had been reminded through a friend of this word abiding. We are called in God's Word to abide in Him. You know what that word really means? Here's a great picture for you. Abiding would be if you're sitting at the table with Jesus and you come up and you sit next to Jesus and you put, his, you put your head on His shoulder and He's whispering to you, telling you how much He loves you, the plans and purposes that He has for you, how you are forgiven and how you can find peace and hope and comfort in Him. It's about inclining towards you Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. God inclines to us. Inclines means He gets closer. He draws near. But we are to do the same thing. When God draws near to us, we don't pull away. We draw even closer. Right? That's what we are called to do. You picture yourself sitting next to your Lord Jesus. Abiding in Him. is Staying next to Him. Close to Him. Under under his wing. See that? We remember in Acts 23, you remember what it said when Paul was still going through his issues? It said, and we focused our whole sermon that day on, it said, the following night after Paul had been falsely accused, the Lord stood next to Paul. He came to him and said, Paul, you've been faithful in Jerusalem. You must go to Rome. He says the same thing to us as faithful believers and followers. He'll come up next to us. He'll incline to us and hear our cries. Our cries of desperation and despair. And He'll incline to us and then we incline to Him and draw close to Him to abide in Him and stay there forever. Isn't that worth Is there any other place you'd rather be than abiding in the Lord Jesus? See, we abide in Him through His Word, through prayer, through following His Spirit, but simply we say we abide in Him. Some final thoughts. You know, behind all the chaos in our life, there is a sovereign God, and He is able and often uses even our best efforts and our worst to still achieve His purposes. Any disasters in our life, trials, sufferings, like those that happened to Paul, these can all be materials with which God builds His program for us. See that? and by which he promotes the gospel. That's what Paul was doing, promoting the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the good news in him. Considering that, think about it this way. In the whole book of Acts that Luke is writing as an account of how the early church began, Luke continues to weave the good news of the gospel through it all. It might be 
a story of history and telling us the beginning of the church. But through it all, we see the Holy Spirit leading and we see Paul and the apostles sharing the good news of the gospel. And Luke, as the writer, makes that clear. He even uses the gospel like a pin in the map. Maybe you have a map of the world and you put a pin in places that you've been to. We have a map outside where there's a pin where all the missionaries are that we support. It's like that red dot on the map in the mall, right? And gives you an orientation. It is like the gospel that orients us on our map. And we look at the compass and we say, which way should we go? And we follow it. And we follow it. And we follow it. The gospel is always our good news. It's what gives us life and it gives the message of life that we should reflect and share along the way. It's been said this way, Paul in his trials... He kept awaiting a verdict, right? I mean, he would share his testimony and he would be asked to kind of give an account of what he was doing. He said, okay. And oftentimes he didn't even have to give an account. He just shared the gospel, his testimony. And then what happened? Leader after leader would say, well, we'll leave it to the next guy. We'll leave it to the next guy. Finally, he says, just bring me to Caesar. It keeps getting put off. There's no verdict. There's no decision made. They don't know what to do with him. They know in the heart of hearts, all the leaders, they know. Paul even calls them out and says, do you believe? I know you believe. You know I'm innocent. And they're not even, they're not even rendering a verdict. Paul is waiting. He's wanting that verdict. Being falsely accused and beaten, chased, imprisoned. All of that. But as Luke recounts the early church history in the book of Acts and all of Paul's journey, Luke keeps the gospel in focus. And why is that? To remind the early believers, but listen, to remind us today that we know that we have already heard our verdict and we are declared righteous before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, right? We don't need to wait. We know that we are free. We sang this morning that we are no longer slaves. Paul wanted that earthly justice. Didn't come. But he found joy and contentment in knowing that in the end it really didn't matter for him. He knew that Christ had set him free. Paul kept emphasizing the resurrection. It was the truth that anchored it all and kept the gospel as preeminent. God is continuing to bring the gospel to the world. He did it through Paul. He's doing it through us as we make ourselves available to him. You know, as I said before, a map is different from the compass. A map is only good for the location we're in, but a compass will help us wherever we are. A compass points the way. A map is not truly helpful if you don't have that compass giving that direction. It seems like Paul's compass was always pointed to the true north for him, pointed to God. Wherever God was directing and bringing him, Through all that rough terrain, he continued to keep his focus on him. We are called in God's word to set our minds on things above where Christ is, right? Not on things of the earth. Everything changing around us. Forever shifting sands, right? But we keep our focus on things above where Christ is. We will stay focused on the compass pointing us always north, right? God used various circumstances, difficulties, trials, accusations, imprisonment to lead Paul, but he's doing the same thing for us. 
You know, maps can keep getting redrawn. They keep changing. The routes are being changed to get to our certain destination. We shouldn't even memorize those routes anymore because things change so much. But a compass is more relevant than ever, remembering that it's always pointing us in the right direction. Now in life, we might like to play it safe. Most of us don't like change. We don't like taking risks. So we like to play it safe, and that probably defines most of us most of the time. We like to stay in our comfort zone. Do you just wake up every day saying, I want to do something completely different, step outside my comfort zone? We like to stay within our boundaries, don't we? Those things that make us feel good that we know because they're familiar. I mean, if you ever moved to a different town or you're as a kid, you moved to a different school, it can be scary, right? Why? Because it's all different. You know, you get to a new town, you're like, I don't even know how to get to the grocery store. You know, it's like everything is new around you. We take comfort in knowing where we're going. I mean, if you travel to work every day and you've been doing it for years, do you ever notice how you can kind of just do it and think about other things and somehow you wind up there? Not you don't think about, oh, it's got to be this exit, that exit. No, because you're familiar with your terrain, you see. But everything around us is truly changing. But God never changes. We need to follow the Holy Spirit. Allow God to direct us according to His will. That will involve risk. Jesus never promised that following Him would be easy. Or that He would lay out the path every step of the way. We are, as I like to say, on a need-to-know basis. And sometimes God says, you don't need to know right now. But that's where faith comes in. We keep our eyes on the compass because it always leads us to the one who gives us those directions. God never changes. So abide in His Word. Abide in Him through prayer. Abide in the following of the Holy Spirit and simply come up next to the Lord as He inclines to you and you incline to Him. You listen to His whisper, His words of encouragement, His words of peace and hope and love and joy. All those words we celebrate this time of year. Remember that. Those are the things that the Lord wants for you. Abide in Him and you'll stay true to your compass. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the power of Your Word. You are truly an amazing God. Father, we love to read about how you worked through your early followers, how you established your church here on earth. God, it's so amazing. It's so amazing that we can learn, we can learn from all of your word. God, would you help us to, to be mindful this week that, God, that you're calling us, you have a plan and a purpose for us and we want to be true to that, but God, things around us seem to be changing so quickly and things in us change. And God, we might find ourselves directionless. We might find ourselves giving in to the changing winds of the day. But Father, as you call us back to yourself, help us to incline ourselves to you, to abide in you in all that we do. Help us, Father God. We don't want to keep trying and trying and trying. We want to surrender surrender ourselves to you to give up and to give in and let you lead the way god have mercy on us god our terrain is forever changing but we thank you that you never change amen
Amen.